from our soundstage and auditory office to your hearts and ears across the globe. The following has been crafted with care for your enjoyment. Good morning, good day, or good evening, and welcome to the exciting preseason of 54 Lights. Finally, the steady drumbeat that will be our fourth season is on the horizon. It's creeping into view, and we'll soon embark on our deliberate march throughout the continent. For those just joining, or those joining as a matter of habit, remember that this season we're diving headfirst into the deep end dedicating each and every episode to seeing one corner of the African continent. We're going to march the African map, if you will, and all 54 countries in it, one story at a time. But before we forge forward, we're going to enjoy a preseason with allies who are standing in solidarity. Up first is the indomitable artist, Calvert Jones. Calvert is an entrepreneur and a profoundly talented visual artist. His work is as powerful as it is colorful, and has been featured in things like USA Today, and even been commissioned by the royal family. His masterpiece series, quite literally reinterpretations of well-known masterpieces such as The Last Supper, are profound and provocative, fashioned with flavor that's unforgettable and crafted with a texture that you cannot ignore. Island style. In short, Calvert's career itself is a masterpiece in the making. Now that's not to say that he has yet to arrive, but rather that his story and success know no discernible end, no boundary, and really no peak in sight. But don't take my word for it. Let's take his. Without further a ramble, let's lean in and listen up to this great conversation with my special guest and the man behind the magic of tropical realism. This is actually my first, well not the first speaking event. I've had, I've had to take part in an official university lecture that was when last year actually so this is like the second official thing oh well, well, that's I'm, great I'm yeah, grateful for that i came across your work through one of my networks because a, a lot of the a lot of the guests that i interview are artists and professionals and i came across your work and i was just stunned and amazed and i had to talk to you and i'm so grateful that you accepted the offer so thank you for being here and thanks a lot for having me. I, one of the things I pride myself in, and which is perhaps why I call the artwork tropical realism, is the colors that are used, the, the technique, etc., has to speak more than just the visuals. Yeah, you have to see the color, and that has to evoke some feelings in you. Because when you, when you study, if you've ever been exposed to 
concepts of color psychology, you'll realize that colors also convey frequency, they convey emotions, and they connect in a deep way that is subconscious, but is very powerful. And, you know, I, 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 these are the sort of things and the sort of feedback that I appreciate to get from persons who really are, that it has made such an impact and they, 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 they feel that power, they feel that, that, that vibe to get to know more of the artists or more, or to see more of the art. This is really what the work is all about. You know, sticking with that, with those colors and that theme, it, is that a, that style of yours, is that a purposeful in, uh, insertion of your culture? Is that just what you landed on from a creative perspective that you thought those colors and the richness and the vibrancy is important? Or, you know, wh- what did it signify for you? All of the above, um, typically. And traditionally, I was a, a realist and I, I painted at what we would tend to call hyper-realism. So my work wasn't necessarily much different from what you'd see in a photograph. And what happened is I started to, well, I was not, nec- I was not back into a full-time art position until in 20, around about 2011. Because I was in the corporate arena doing work and, you know, I felt like this was the wrong space to be in. And when I left that job, I had a renewed vigor to pursue my purpose, to make a difference and to make an impact in a profound way. And at the time, I just moved back to St. Vincent and that's what, that's where I'm from. A beautiful island chain in the Caribbean of 32 islands and keys. And I rediscovered the island. I started to go around. I started to investigate things that were historic, things of heritage, things that meant something. And, and, and the most powerful thing that struck out to be Vincentian, because I, I had previous to that lived in Antigua and St. Lucia, traveled as well to many of the Caribbean islands as part of my job. And I noticed that thread that connected us. But at the same time, there was a uniqueness and a vibe and a difference that was Vincentian. And, and that to me coming back home meant a lot. Now, when I got back into art, it was no longer the case of me being that traditional realist. I had to find some way to echo the passion, echo the vibe, echo the things that we even consider to be imperfect, yet perfect in that art. So when you look at the paintings, there's paint running. There's, 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 there's seemingly paint scratched off or there's a face that's sort of not finished or not, or it doesn't appear to look like it's finished. These are all aspects that are deliberate because they are meant to reflect that laid back island style, island vibe, <laughs> that, that yeah. element of an imperfect environment. But yet that's where you want to escape to when you want to live, like leave the big city or the concrete jungles to come to because that's that simple paradise that we were used to. So when you go to the beach, for instance, in St. Vincent, most of the communities there are fishing communities. There will always yeah. be a set of fishing boats and they're always weathered. You'll always find driftwood, for instance, you would always find shells and nothing is perfect. Something has the color scratched off, something has the color faded, something has evidence of repairs in layers. So I start to reflect even those elements of, of our a lifestyle and our reality within the artwork. That's really profound. And I, you know, when I'm, when I'm looking at some of the pieces, again, I'm on your website and when I'm looking at some of the pieces here, I do see that little element to your point of like, it's unfinished, but it doesn't feel unfinished. It doesn't feel like it's incomplete. It actually, um, 
it, it's funny now that you're explaining it actually feels very resolved. Yeah, it right. feels resolved. Thank <laughs> you. What I think is also profound is you are you are being very intentional of having your culture show up your your culture show up in your painting in your paintings rather there is one painting however that really kind of stood out and has been the the the, the ethos of a lot of feedback a, a lot of energy and 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 debate and discussion and that is your painting of the the last colonial meal and the reason why I want to key in on that cuz it seems like it's slightly a slight departure from some of your other pieces, which are very much based in, as you said, you know, realism, cut, catching the flavor of the of the islands or of of your island and and and, and sort of life there. But the last colonial meal is is somewhat different, or it feels like it's a departure from some of those. Can you explain to myself and the audience what brought you to that painting, and it, you know why why did you why did you create it? Okay, so. In my expressions, I capture, you know, the everyday living. So you see a lot of turtles, landscape pieces, scenery, island style and island life. But yet, at the back of all of this and at the back of, of what unifies us as, as a Caribbean and as a people and as a, as a colored society distributed throughout the Western world, some of the concepts, some of the legacies that we inherited, some of the heritage that we still have or that we hold on to, and deeply political or deeply social, different issues that, that have molded us to become who we are. Now, I, I, I have completed a line called what I call the Masterpiece Series that consists of a few of the scenes surrounding those particular topic, topics, and they include heroes, they include um, different elements, but Last Colonial Meal, that painting that you just referenced, is by far what I would term the most profound production masterpiece that I've ever worked on. What inspired that concept is my, my quest to reimagine the masterpiece initially, of, which was Leonardo da Vinci's rendition of The Last Supper, into a contemporary painting that had both geometric, that had visual, and that had perceptive dimensions to a conversation surrounding it. So while you see this painting, and it's actually a three-part painting that's joined together, if you look on the website, there, there are a few lines that are visible as well. Mm, but it, mm -hmm. even within the dimensions, if you add, for instance, the total horizontal, distance and total height, you would get nine if you break them down to one figure. Now, nine is a representation of a complete cycle to me. And when you look at the characters, for instance, who are pictured here, while they would have endured several lifetimes and spanned you know, a few hundred years, what has challenged us as a people in the Western society? And it, this is actually from the context of Western society, I should say, because I've had questions like, why not include Kwame or uh, some uh, yeah. another character yeah. from South Africa, like Nelson Mandela? Sure. Yeah. But yeah. Um, this is specific to our Western society, you know, our Western civilization. For instance, um, our national hero is part of this conversation. And the Garifuna people, and he was, he was the last chief 
that fought in the war. And after his death, they were conquered and they were exiled. So he is the national hero of St. Vincent and Belize and of Honduras, actually. All right. Now, the story of him is when the Garifuna were exiled, they went on to actually join with troops who left Haiti and they went on to fight with Simon Bolivar to help mm -hmm. liberate some countries in South America. And the Garifuna people themselves have basically butchered major communities in Honduras and Belize and Central America. So right. the influence as, as, as we know it, in modern time is not just a modern thing. I mean, we now can travel to each island. We now hear stories very quickly of what is going on in, in these places, but that thread that, com that, that connected us and the historical legacy of what connected our communities in, in whether they be um, the struggle for human rights, the struggle against slavery, yeah. The struggle to, to, to bring economic liberation to communities, all of it was, 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 was really a similarity over the decades and over the centuries of our Western civilization and, and of our colored societies. When people receive the work that you're doing, you mentioned about people asking, why didn't you put Kwame Nkrumah in there or Nelson Mandela? And obviously those were freedom fighters, but, but you know, sort of like with their feet in the continent. How do you how do you deal with those? Are those questions of curiosity? Are they criticisms? Is that is that all? Is that all? Do you think a distraction, or do you think that's part of the dialogue? That is actually part of the conversation and the intrigue. Because, for instance, why why just one woman? I've had that question. Why just Harriet Tubman? Mm -hmm. Or why did I choose to have two Muslims on either end of the table? Is it is it a religious thing? Um, who's the character at the center? So there, there are so many questions, and 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 these questions help to educate because they allow persons to be addressed on more of the painting that they didn't necessarily think about. But it's a, it's there's an educational context to some of that. So I invite these questions, and and you know, like I said to persons, because Nelson Mandela and Kwame, they were they were in continental Africa, mm -hmm. um, but. That doesn't mean that they didn't have a struggle there. But for instance, the central character isn't Jesus. The central character is a British army general. He just doesn't have the cap on. But the reason why he looks like that and the reason why he's positioned like that is because that as well invokes the questioning on why Jesus wasn't perhaps a more colored looking individual. And, and what we forbid, have been familiar with through the lens of, of, of what some persons would call the white supremacist whitewashing of the religion and the images behind the religion and behind the superheroes that our society is dominated with, right? So, so that particular imagery was also deliberate. The characters mm -hmm. that were, were depicted here, the difficulty of representing some of them were lack of references because in the original painting they're actually positioned in the same way but i didn't have references for some of them from a side angle so it's very difficult to reproduce a particular mm -hmm. angle and make it look at least like them but it still remains true to the style of not being exactly hyper realism right so, so for, mm -hmm. go ahead oh, no please go ahead please go ahead right so for instance there's one 
there's only one woman because there was one woman in that original painting. Where's your starting point? Is your starting point the dialogue that you want to ensue and enlist and provoke, if you will, with the audience? Is your starting point your own frame of mind and just sort of allowing, like, are are you the center of that and the motivating line behind that? Or is there something else that sort of drives you? For the typical, it's, 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 it's different um, because I do photography as well. And so, for instance, when I'm doing the more regular pieces, I go around, you know, I drive around, I take a lot of pictures either with my professional DSLR or with the cell phone. And I generally keep them in in one area. And then I'll review them over time sometimes and be inspired by scenes I may have captured and decide to paint a regular thing. And that's for the regular line. But with the masterpiece ones, these are these are part of a deeper what I have as a purpose to 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 help in the conversation of what I think traps us as, 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 as in a black society and black communities in either in a mindset area or areas of history that are not necessarily exposed enough to our people for them to learn from in terms of our roots and how we chart the course forward. So many of the masterpiece series have a lot of research behind them and that's really where it starts. So it's not just, you know, you start today and then it's just something out of the head. I, I consult sometimes historians, um, psychologists, sometimes anthropologists. Um, and it's a, it's a, so the expression is very intense, but I seek as much as possible to also get uh, some guidance on the recreation of it because it has to have that level of expertise and, and credentials behind whatever is depicted for it to be taken seriously or for it to go very far. What are your, you know, in, in our cultures, and I'll, I'll just, I'll say collective cultures, African cultures, Caribbean cultures, uh, throughout the world, as you say, the, the art is sometimes perceived very generally speaking as, as a hobby, as you said, it's a, it's a, it's a hobbyist. Do you think the conversations that you're inspiring, that you're um, provoking, are changing that perception within St. Vincent? Are they changing that perception within uh, different parts of the world? I certainly think so. At the time when I started and went back into art full-time, for instance, I started off doing branding, actually. There was, there was a bar that was close to where I grew up on the countryside, and it was close to the beach. And business place happened to be owned by some childhood friends of mine. And I said to them, listen, I've, I'd like to get back into um, some artistic business services. And I'd love to just brand this bar for free. You know, just, just get the paint for me and just let me do something nice. So what I did is I, I painted a beach scene on all sides of it. So when you looked at the bar, the the walls were looking seamless, but it just looked like a beach right around. It was it looked there was a it was essentially a mural wrap, mm, mm. right? If I can describe it so that you the listeners would understand and so that you could understand. But it 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 in in its three D space, it had an atmosphere that was beach like. Yeah. Right, and it was very attractive. Everybody talked about it, but that was that was my move to make an impression and to also let the 
corporate arena know that, listen, you can get creative with branding. Branding didn't have to be something stipulated by your headquarters in, in LA or in, <laughs> in, in, in Canada. You can, right. you can adapt your branding to meet island style and still have something talked about because ultimately network talk, you, you know, word of mouth is still the most effective way of marketing. And we're seeing that right now on social media. Oh, for sure. <laughs> You know, I guess that the second half of the question was, do you feel that this, what you're doing is provoking maybe people to really examine and explore art outside of St. Vincent and outside of the Caribbean and in the world? Do you think, do you think that that movement is actually happening? In St. Vincent, it definitely is. Uh, in the Caribbean, it definitely has started. But because some of the elements have not, well, have not yet um, rolled out and not I'm not yet rolled out and started and not in place yet. The influence is still um, in its youthful stage. But what I usually tell persons is, especially where the masterpieces are concerned, my art should stand by itself in a room, yeah. right? I, I look at every project as separate and distinct from who I am as a person. For instance, oh. you look at any of these masterpieces and it should be so powerful that while you look at it and say, hey, I wonder who, who painted this, what you actually see takes up more of the conversation. And you, 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 your curiosity is so, is so intrigued that you, you, know, you get lost within that thing because the art itself has to take on a life of its own. And that's where it gets to, 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 to us making people look at art seriously because, you know, I look at it as a, as a, as a challenge of the ego. I know a lot of times persons, they think it's all about them. That's just not who I am. Mm. And for me to change the atmosphere of how the creative industry is viewed both locally and abroad, it has to take on a life of its own and a purpose of its own and a message of its own that just grows over time, grows over platforms and grows continually in depth and in significance. Calvert, I have I have just maybe a couple of questions more for you, and I realize I've kept you a little bit over time. Do you have Do you have a few minutes? Yeah, sure. I I love this. <laughs> oh, no, just, I'm telling you, this, yeah. it's, you know, it's it's always funny when I get into these conversations. I always like I'm I'm so selfish about this whole process uh, because I I always speak to people that I want to speak to, and then when I get on the phone, I'm like, I never want to let them go. You know, like I'm just like, no, that's fine. <laughs> we can talk for the entire evening. I'm sure your audience is loving it. I love the vibe. I love what you're doing as well, too, because it connects people. And I, I know it's going to raise the bar as well with what creatives are doing across the, the diaspora, you know, and how that ties back to the motherland and how what we're doing really and truly just feeds off one another. And it's, it's great. And I must commend you for what you're doing. I appreciate that, Calvert. And, you know, the credit is all the, of all my guests and, you know, and, and obviously of which you're, you're going to be leading off this fourth, fourth season. And, it really is something. So you touched on one of the last questions that I have for you, because I will let you go, because that threat was real. I could keep you on the phone for, for a day. But th this this concept of, you know, a big part of my show is to sort of like, to sort of elevate this idea of Pan-Africanism. Uh, obviously, other right. people have done this in such an amazing way. And I've, I'm just sort of trying to, trying to breathe that that energy in, in my small little way through this show. And what what I noticed 
after a while of doing the show is that it's it's you know it's pan Africanism, it's pan pan Afro Caribbeanism, and it's it's pan like there's just such a, a thread that weaves through the diaspora in the West, in the East, and then it goes back to the continent. There is a commonality with these peoples. When you are doing your work, the the master the masterful work that you do, uh, pardon the pun. Again, are you thinking of pulling all of those peoples together? Are you thinking of just telling the story on the canvas? You know, it's a, a little bit of a nuance of the question that I asked before, but are you thinking about that underlying piece there? Or is this, is this really just a, a dissection that you take and say, let me do this piece. Let me master this piece. Now, I, for the regular arts, um, you know, there's not much, well, there is, yes, a lot of thought in that, but for the masterpieces, it's totally different. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, 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 yes, and you're right. It's, it's, it's an effort to, again, there's something, because you can't separate what I would claim to be the subject matter from what connects us from a Pan-African perspective. You know, I, for the last few years, I've, I've listened to a lot of Umar, Dr. Umar Johnson. I've listened to Louis Farrakhan a lot. I've listened every every character who say I've done a bit of research on them and things that they stood for and things that they they try to emphasize and things that they all try to promote and ultimately you know it all leads down the same road of fundamentally what challenges us across the continents and across islands as as um as, as colored communities and you know whether it's economics whether it's the family whether it's the mindset and education, we all have the same challenges. And we may have varying levels of historical, well, things that are different, you know, that happen to us differently across different continents. But ultimately, our challenges are the same. And it's not a case of, because some of the, some of the themes have, you know, slavery and, and, and heavy subject matter in there. But I, I don't think that although we suffered or endured that particular process, it's, it should define who we are. Because like Marcus Garvey said, we are an incredible race. And if we know our roots, we'd be less likely to disrespect ourselves. And, you know, one of the challenges I think that we have as a society is that we, we, are, we don't have enough faith and we don't have enough hope in ourselves and in who we are. Because the common man doesn't believe much in himself. For instance, when I embarked on this journey to start painting, you know, my mom said to me, and, you know, I, I really love her. She's a darling. But she said, why don't you go get a job? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and she said that with all love in her heart. I was going to say, she said that with the, the most profound love. Yeah, yeah for sure. She was, she was just concerned. But then every week, all her friends, everybody who's coming back started to see me in magazines. And then they heard of the thing with Prince Harry and some of the other publications I was in. And they would call her and they say, hey, I've seen your son here. I've seen him there. I've seen him there. I heard the prime minister calling his name. I heard he's involved in this. And then she started to feel that element of, of pride because she never imagined that art would have made an impact on so many people and such a wide diaspora and that it would have gone on the places that it has gone, right? And, you know, it's, it's, it, but the journey continues. 
Calvert Jones, Mr. Calvert Jones, thank you profoundly for this conversation, for joining me, for giving me your time and giving us, um, be that my audience or those people who have the privilege of, of running into your amazing work. Thank you for giving us these masterpieces, to be frank. And again, I, I, will, be, I will be in touch uh, on this and uh, really looking forward to, uh, to staying in touch with you. And thank you very much. It's indeed my pleasure to be here and I'm grateful for the opportunity and may you continue to be blessed and guided in this wonderful series of, 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 of podcasts that you're doing to connect the community and to expose artists. So wonderful initiative. I wish you all the best and thanks to all the viewers who took the time out to listen to this. Please ensure that you listen to the others. He has very interesting content and take care. This was nice. Thanks, Calvert. Appreciate it. So there you have it. The conversation continues. Thank you for joining us on this journey, and I hope you're ready for the next. In studio in the coming weeks, you're going to hear from the likes of activist Janare Yerksa, creator and entrepreneur Andrea McKenzie, and actress Karen Leblanc. They, among a few hand-picked others, will make up our powerful preseason, and I cannot wait for you to hear what's in store. From Vancouver to Atlanta to Montreal to London and even Paris, our preseason will travel the globe before we plant our ears firmly on African soil. As stated at the top, part of our show was recorded and produced at the soundstage and auditory office of 54 Lights. And while our stage is small, our lights together shine brightly. Now this season, more than most, has been produced in partnership with some incredible people. Ones I'll avoid rattling off anonymously, but we'll find the time to thank personally. After each and every play. Now before I go special shout out and enormous gratitude goes to you, the listener, for lending us your ears today. My name again is Kundwani Mwase. Here's hoping you find yourself in every play. It's been fierce, and it's only just begun. Until we meet again, thanks for listening.